Um, every once in a while, um, throughout the year, we get the occasional reminder that uh, Matt Brown is a human being, and he might actually want a little bit of rest and maybe some time with the family, go on a trip somewhere. Uh, this happens to be one of those Sundays, so uh, rest well. Matt is uh, doing great and is enjoying fall break with his family, and that's coming back here this week. But uh, this morning, we are blessed um, to have Anthony Knight here. Um, he is out of the journey Lebanon, um, which um, if everyone here may not be familiar with the background, but uh, we actually started as a satellite campus of the journey Lebanon up here, and uh, Eric's teaching was actually played on that TV screen. It was turned the other way, and that was the first thing. This was a theater with road, you know, tiered stairs here, and that, so it was a whole different environment than uh, what you see today. But uh, So it started as that, ended up um, as the two campuses were going. We just kind of realized um, on good terms that, okay, we're two different churches, and you know this needs to plant. And so the journey, Lebanon actually planted us, and we've been on our own about five, six years now, um, functioning independently, and that. But we've retained great ties with them. Uh, we've had a lot of Eric's come back a few times. We've had a couple of uh, their elders in here to teach. And this morning we're uh, blessed with Anthony Knight as part of that team. Um, Anthony is one of the few people I meet that is actually from Nashville and is born and raised here. So um, he's comes out of Nashville and Cumberland University and. Um, comes here and again uh, has been part of the journey down there for four or five years and uh, we're blessed to have him bring us the word this morning. Come on up, Andrew. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to uh, be here and uh, preach the word of God to, to you all. I'll just give a quick few more nuggets about myself. Like I'm, I'm Anthony Knight and i um, been married to my wife, Nicole, for over the past year and two months now. So we are newly wed. We still need a lot of prayers for, for that. So, but it's a lot of fun. We're expecting um, our first uh, son in, in February. So excited about that. Uh, there we go. Give it up to her. She's the one who's, who's carrying. Um, so I'm, I'm on staff at the Journey Church in, in Lebanon, and I'm on the pastoral team, and I oversee our young adult college age ministry. So my, my main target is to go after those college students there in the young adult age. And I also help out with some weekend teaching and preaching whenever uh, our, our, our lead pastor, Pastor Eric, is not, not preaching. Um, I get to travel and speak, get to travel, do youth camps and all of these things. So I, I love teaching the Word of God. It's a, a big passion of mine. I'm uh, getting my, my master's at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, doing it all online. I'm halfway done with that. Definitely need prayers for that as well. Um, but enough about me. Let's go ahead and dive in the word. I would love for everyone to stand. Um, we're going to read Galatians 1 uh, verse 11 through 24. And then I'm going to pray us into um, the message. So Galatians 1 verses 11 through 24. Hopefully it's on the screen behind us, behind me in front of you. If not, just Galatians 1 11 to 24, Paul reads this. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace 
was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, which is Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, and what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Let us pray. Church, dear God, we, we come to you eager to just hear a word from you. Everyone in this church, we're all filled with so much sin, which is why we just got through singing, remember me, God. Please remember the promises that you have, that you have given us. Please remember, because although we, we stand here and we, we have this desire to pursue after you, but our pursuit falls short so often. But you love us. Your grace just showers over us. It covers us. So let us walk in that grace. Let us live in this grace. And let us be firm in our faith. We give you all the praise and the glory. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So, as I'm standing up here, I'm glancing out and I'm looking at multiple people. I'm looking at multiple faces. And behind each one of you all's face, there is a story. Your story. Everyone in here has a story that shapes who you are today. Our story started the day we were conceived in our mother's womb, but in reality, our stories began in the mind of God before creation even existed. Our stories are the answer to everything about us, why we think the way that we think, why we react the way that we react, why we laugh at the things that we laugh at, and why we get offended at certain things that people say. Our stories are the building blocks to our future. We chase and pursue after certain things because of who we are. We tick and we operate in a specific way because of who we are, and who we are is wrapped up into one big story. In the mind of God, watch this. In the mind of God, our stories are complete. He's looking at the beginning and the end of all of our stories right now, but from our perspective, our stories are incomplete. We are still here, breathing, living, adding to our story daily with every second, with every thought, with every decision that we, that we make. But the most interesting thing about our stories is how, we, how they are so distinct from one another, but yet our stories share so many similarities. Each person in this room and in this world is filled, is, has a story that is completely unique. God has tailor-made all of our stories where it will only truly fit us but at the same time, our stories are extremely similar. We know this to be true because we were all created by one God, the God of the Bible, right? And again, but once again, he made us all unique in order to serve his, his purpose. See, our stories are so important to the Christian worldview, right? Without a God giving us purpose, then our stories are truly pointless. They're, they're, they're meaningless, 
right, without God, if, if science is the answer to why we exist, right, if there is no God, if science is the, exa- is the answer to why we exist, then our stories are nothing but a science ex- experiment with just a bunch of atoms and a bunch of neurons just, just fizzing together. And that causes us to make certain decisions. But then what happens when our atoms and our neurons stop fizzing together? Then we die. But oh well, because there's no afterlife. Our stories mean nothing. Science experiment over. But we know this is not true. Because in our Christian worldview that we receive from the word of God, we know that our stories have a purpose. But more importantly, our, st- our stories serve. A purpose. And that purpose is meant to serve God's glory, his, serve his mercy, serve his love and his, and his holiness and the things that are so sweet to us as Christians. Our story is meant to serve God's grace. Our stories reveal his grace. All of our individual uniqueness as well as all of our sameness in our stories. And I wanted to enter our topic today in this way, because what we're going to be doing is studying and walking through a little bit of the Apostle Paul's story, and specifically the piece that he shares in our text that we just read. And since all of our stories have uniqueness and similarities to them, we are going to look at some of the similarities we have with the Apostle Paul. Right? We kind of already know the uniquenesses and differences with, with Paul, right? We know that none of us lived in the time that he lived. None of us are in here are apostles. None of us in here wrote any scripture. So we know all of these. We know the uniqueness Paul's story has to us. But I think we forget how similar we are with Paul as well. He has a story just like us. Both of our stories are meant to serve a purpose, and it's to highlight Highlight the grace of God. Our stories are meant to lift up, shine the spotlight on the grace of God. Our stories are meant to give a standing ovation to the grace of God. Our stories, just like Paul's stories, reveals God's grace. So this is the statement that I want us to remember. It's going to kind of be the foundation of our message. Our story reveals to us past grace, present grace, and future grace. Our stories reveal to us past grace, present grace, and future grace. But before uh, we unpack this statement, let's go back into the scripture so we can understand the context of why Paul wrote what he wrote. Why did Paul share a piece of his story in Galatians uh, 1, 11 to 24? Let's get a better understanding of why Paul said what he said. And as we do this, I think we'll see the significance of our story and how it reveals to us our past, present, and future Great. So if you are familiar with the book of Galatians, this letter is a little different than most of the letters that Paul writes to. See, Paul, is, he's, he's going through a lot with the people of Galatia. There have been people who have abandoned the truth of the gospel. So if you remember the popular, popular verse in verse 7 of chapter 1, Paul says, there is no other gospel, right? This is why, because people are abandoning the truth of the gospel. But people, they weren't just waking up one day and saying, I'm done with this Jesus and this gospel stuff. And no, people were misleading others to abandon the gospel. And some of these people, they were known as the Judaizers. See, they were trying to undo what Paul was teaching. They were trying to undermine Paul and his authority. So in verses 11 to 12, Paul is trying to validate his authority. He was explaining himself, trying to wash out the tainted views people had on him. People were doubting his apostleship. People were probably saying this. This is what some of the things people were probably saying. Wait a minute. Paul, he wasn't part of the 12. He didn't know Jesus personally like the other apostles did. 
He didn't break bread with Jesus. He didn't fish with Jesus like the others. He wasn't at the wedding banquet with Jesus when Jesus turned the water into wine. He wasn't with Peter when Peter was walking on the water. Matter of fact, Paul is teaching something that is different from the true apostles. This is probably some of the things that's just circulating the air, which is get, they're trying to get them to validate, unvalidate Paul's authority. So this is what Paul was dealing with. People were undermining his authority, so he had to basically set the record straight. He had to prove to them who he was. But he wasn't doing this to seek their approval because in verse 10 he says, I'm not, no, I'm, I don't care about that. What he's doing is truly validating the uniqueness of his story. Because remember, Paul, he has a unique story. He is an apostle. Although he was not of the original 12, he didn't break bread with Jesus like the others, but it doesn't mean that his apostleship doesn't hold authority like the others. Jesus did reveal himself to Paul in a very unique way. If you remember the story in Acts 9, Paul was knocked off his horse with a flash of, of, from heaven, flash of light from heaven while he was on his way to Damascus, while he was on his way, what, persecuting Christians. Paul is setting the record straight by telling them, I may not be of the original 12 men, but my gospel that I preach is not from men either. This is why he says this in verse 11 to 12. If you have your Bible, it says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So, so now we know why Paul is saying what he's saying. He's, Paul is validating the message that was given to him by God. So now let's unpack our, our statement. Our story reveals to us past grace, present grace, and future grace. And how we are going to unpack this statement is by focusing on three parts. And here are the three parts. Number one, our past grace reminds us. Number two, our present grace sustains us. And number three, our future grace compels us. So in other words, how does our story reveal to us our past, present, and future grace? And it's because this is what our story does. Our past grace reminds us, our present grace sustains us, and our future grace compels us. So let's first see how Paul's past grace reminded him. See, in verses 13 to 14, Paul starts to explain his past, the, the old Paul, the Paul who persecuted Christians, the Paul who thought he was getting rid of all of God's enemies, but in reality, he was God's enemy. Listen to what he says in verses 13 to 14. For, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, the, the old Paul, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of, of my father. Now, now watch how Paul's story reveals his past grace. Watch how his story of his past reminded him of God's grace right here in verse 15. But when he who set me apart before I was born, for he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his, by his grace. Paul was saying, this is who I was, my past, an enemy of God. But even when I was an enemy, I was set apart before I was born. Because of his grace. Paul's story is very unique. It's more unique than ours. None of us in here can say that we have put Christians to death for their faith. None of us in here can say that we've thrown Christians in jail for their faith. His story is unique in that way. 
But his story is not unique from the sense that we were all once enemies of God. But because of God's grace, he set us apart. We share that similarity. See, this hits home to, to my story of my past. When I think about my past, I was an enemy of God. I was in rebellion towards him. I wasn't killing Christians, but I was killing my soul with sex, drugs, and, and alcohol. I didn't have zeal for the traditions of the Jewish fathers like Paul, but I did have zeal for the traditions of this world to, to place in my identity in the world to see how much marijuana I could smoke or how many women I can be with. I was an enemy of God, just like Paul, just like you. I'm sure there's a lot of people in here who have a similar, similar story than I have, who placed your joy in substance abuse and the traditions of the world. Or maybe it was money or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. It's all just a part of our story of the past filled with darkness, foolishness, and animosity towards our creator. But the same God who set apart Paul is the same God who set apart us. And this is how our stories connect. Beginning in our mother's womb. No, beginning in the mind of God. He set us apart. But what about for those who never had that dark story of their past, never had that prodigal son past, the past of living in worldliness? How does your story remind you of grace? I'm sure some of you, if this is you, is thinking about that. Maybe some of you say, I didn't have that past of walking in that, that darkness. Then listen to this. The same grace that took me and others out of the darkness of our past it's the same grace that protected you from ever walking down that pathway in the first place. It's the same grace. I've spoken with so many people who, who get discouraged about their story, about their testimony, because they don't feel like they have that testimony that's good enough. They don't feel like they have that story that they can go and just preach and just talk about how God just broke them out of all of these chains. So they kind of get discouraged. Right? They accepted Christ at a young age, and they meant it. Right, They never truly wandered away into these deep sins. But listen, your past still reminds you of your grace. Not grace to get you out of some crazy sin, but grace that never kept you from being tied to and entangled to these gross sins in, in the first place. I'll never forget a friend asking me, Aren't you, aren't you glad? I remember having this conversation when I was in college. My, my friend, he was like, aren't you glad that you lived that lifestyle that you once lived? Because now you have this strong testimony where you're making this 180 degrees, just turn, you just repent it. And, of course, the person who was asking me this didn't have that dark past. That wasn't part of his story. So when he asked me that question, I, th I thought about it for a second. And I said yes, but, but mostly no. And this is what I mean. I mean. I'm grateful for my past because I can relate to people who, who struggle with the things that I lived in. I can, I can tell someone to put down the drugs, and you won't miss it if you surrender it to the Lord. I can say that boldly and confidently, and I've received joy in telling people that when I have those conversations. But in reality, I would do anything to have the knowledge and the relationship with God that I have now. Back in my teenage years, I would do anything for that. Oh, my goodness, if I had what I had now back when I was in high school, I would be multiple years in advance in my faith 
Instead of wasting my time smoking and getting high, I could have been reading so many books to help me with my knowledge of my God at such a young age. And most importantly, instead of living an unholy lifestyle, separated from my heavenly father in those years, I could have been one with him, pleasing him a long time ago. But that's that's not my story. And some of you may be like, what are you talking about? You're you're still young. You're only 25. Most people don't start taking their faith seriously into their mid-30s when their life kind of just starts to crumble. So then they're chasing after God. That's the average Christian. It's okay, though. But that's, that's, that's the truth. But you are true. I am young. I am only 25. And I did, the Lord did grab me at age 19. So in the big picture, those years, it's not really too long, right? But to me, they were long enough. Once again, I wish I started when I was 14, 13, but it's not my story. And it's okay because my story reminds me of God's grace in the, in the past, of him taking me out of my darkness. And your story should remind you of God's grace, of your past. Not because maybe he didn't take you out of some gross sins, but because that's maybe not your story, but he kept you from getting tied to and chained to gross sins. Can I please get an amen on that? Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen it so many times. People feel so just discouraged and feel like they can't be used by God because they don't have this just strong just testimony. And listen, the same grace that took me out is the same grace who kept you from even getting to that. So let's move on to our present grace sustains us. So remember, our, our story reveals us our past grace, present grace, and future grace. How? Because our past grace reminds us, that's what we just talked about, and our present grace sustains us. So let's look at Paul's present grace sustaining him. Let's read verses 15 to 22, but our focus is going to be on 15 and to 16. So let's reread 15. But when he who has set me apart before I was born, and who, he who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, and what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in the persons to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. So what Paul is trying to get across here to his readers um, is after he had this encounter with Jesus in Acts 9 that we talked about, Jesus revealed himself to Paul in this unique way. He didn't go to anyone and talk to them about it. He didn't go to the apostles or anything immediately after his conversion. And once again, he's making this point to validate what we were talking about earlier. This message is from God, not from man. He's saying, even when Jesus grabbed me, I did not immediately run to anyone, but I went away to myself. This is so important because this proves that no man taught him this message. Remember what he says in verse 12, I did not receive this from any man. So he's saying, Jesus grabbed me and then I went away. So when I went away, no man taught me this because Once again, Jesus grabbed me, then I went away. Paul is validating this truth by telling them, a man couldn't have revealed this to me because he went away. But then three years later, he went to the other leaders and apostles to speak with them. Once again, once again, Paul is combating these attacks on him. He's defending himself. 
They were accusing him for not being from God. And because of that, he is in opposition of the true leaders, the true leaders that's Peter, James, and, and John. They were accusing him of not being from God and of that of the opposition from the true leaders and the, the apostles' teachings. Paul is saying in these verses, this message is from God because after Jesus grabbed me, I went away. No man taught me this, but it was revealed to me by Christ himself. And I am not in the opposition with the others because after I went away, then I went to them and I discussed with them. I talked with them. If he was in opposition, then they would have called him, called him out on it. So that's what Paul is getting across. But now, like I said, let's focus on verse 15 and 16 so we can see how present grace sustains us. Look at all Paul has to, to go through. Just think about what, what he has to go through. He's getting attacked. He's getting undermined and accused. And all of this is because he's trying to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how we know that Paul's present grace sustains him because he's still going. He's still living on mission, serving a purpose. Remember, our stories have a purpose, but most importantly, serve a purpose, and it's to do exactly what Paul is doing, to proclaim the gospel. Although his story is unique, once again, he's an apostle, but we're not. But Paul, see, listen, Paul isn't living on mission by preaching the gospel just because he's an apostle. Paul is willing to live on mission and proclaim the gospel because the father was, was pleased to reveal his son to him in verses 15 and 16. That's what we read. This is where our stories with Paul share similarities again. We have been set apart like Paul, and Jesus has been revealed to us. So here's our purpose, live on mission. Live on mission. That's our purpose. Not because we are apostles like Paul, that's, he's unique in that, but because we are ambassadors of the gospel. See, our stories have so many similarities and distinctness. Paul, he was an apostle, we aren't, but he was an ambassador, and we are too. We know this because 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 to 20 tells us this. Let us read 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, here's the key, verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to, to God. Paul went through struggles and difficulties because he understood that he was an ambassador of Christ. Listen to how the Hebrew word of, for ambassador is described. There are some of the ways that the Old Testament uses the word ambassador. This is what it means. One who goes on an errand. Or, or another way is ambassador means an interpreter. Or another way is, is, is a messenger. So, but here's the thing with ambassador. Just because you are delivering a message, that doesn't make you an ambassador. This is what I mean. Like I said, me and my wife, we are expecting our, our first, first son, and I, I can't wait to, 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 to have him. I can't wait, right? At, at first, you know, I was a lot of huffing and puffing of anxiety, like, oh, my goodness, what, what am I going to do? But now I'm excited, right? I can't wait for him to be born. I can't wait until he starts to grow and develop personalities. 
He's going to be biracial, right? I'm, I, as you can see, I'm black. My, my wife is, is mixed, so I can't wait to see what characteristic traits that he's going to, to have. But I can't wait to see which sport he's going to flourish in. He's got some big shoes to play. I was a football player. My wife was an All-American basketball player. He's got some big shoes to fill. I can't wait to see what he's going to, what sports he's going to take up. I'm sure he's not going to play sports. He's going to love magic or something. I'm going to be upset. But it's, it's okay. That's, that's whatever the Lord wills. It's okay. That's, that's going to be a part of his story, right? It's okay, right? But one of the most exciting things I think about when it comes to raising him and, and him getting older is whenever he gets like a certain age, I get to kind of like boss him around, right? My chores around the house get to get split in half, 50%, because I can tell him to do all of the things that I don't want to do. I'm serious. Like, I get to send him on so many errands around the house and outside the house. Whenever I don't feel like yelling across the room to Nicole, I can send him on an errand to go get his mother. But when my son, listen, when my son goes and runs these errands for me, he's not considered an ambassador. He's not considered an ambassador because to be called this, you have to be delivering a message from someone who has high rankings in the government officials or even better. To be called an ambassador, you have to be sending a message, delivering a message, interpreting a message, running an errand for someone who's a king. See, Paul gives himself and us the title of ambassador because we are supposed to be delivering a message, a message of grace, a message that comes from the king, a king, our king, Jesus. That's what it means to be an ambassador. Paul understood that. He understood his story served a purpose, and so do ours, right now in, in the present. Present grace sustains us. It keeps us going to be ministers of the gospel, to speak life into our daily influences, to speak life into people we are in community and fellowship with, to finally gather enough strength to go ask your coworker to come to church. That's what it means to be an ambassador of Christ. But that takes grace moment, that grace, it, it sustains us to have that confidence to go invite someone to church. Our present grace su- sustains us even though we are sick and tired of our jobs. We take every opportunity to speak truth into someone's life. Maybe although we're sick and tired of our jobs, maybe God has us at that place for a reason to share the gospel with that person. That's what it means to be an ambassador of, of Christ. The present grace sustains us. It gives us strength to stand up for our faith and not live to just to please man. Our present grace sustains us that even though we may be outcast by others for our faith, we stand firm because we serve a purpose. We can look back at our stories and we can see how God has allowed us to go through what we go through. He put people in our lives. He's removed people from our lives all a part of our story, and we look at it all, and in the present, it sustains us. We see this with Paul. This is why he was, there was no way he was willing to back down from all of the attacks and accusations they were giving him, because he understood he's an ambassador. He knew by looking at his story from getting knocked off a horse, but most importantly, God forgiving him from his sins on persecuting Christians. That's his story that was in the mind of God before creation gave him present grace. Our stories do the same. And when this happens, 
Watch. When this happens, when they do, this is what happens. It's in our statement. Our story reveals to us past grace. How? Because our past grace reminds us who we were. Our story reveals to us present grace. How? Because our present grace sustains us so we can live as ambassadors of Christ. And finally, our story reveals to us future grace because our future grace compels us. It, it compels us. Paul's past and present compelled him. Listen to verses 22 to 24. And I was still unknown in the persons to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were hearing. They only were hearing it said. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And here's the key. And they glorified God because of me. Paul was compelled to, to glorify God. And guess what was the instrument God used to receive glory? Paul's story. That was the instrument that God used. The crowd that Paul was compelled to preach to said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. They looked at Paul's story and said, wow, he who used to hate us is now preaching to us. He used to throw us in prison and he used to kill us, but it seems like his story has changed. Now he's preaching to us. What a wonderful story Paul had and what a wonderful story that we all have as well. Because all of our stories are filled with so much uniqueness, but similarities. And that similarity is grace. Our story reveals so much grace. And that grace that is highlighted all within our stories reminds us, sustains us, and it better compel us. When people see our stories, God is glorified by it. If and only if we feel compelled to tell our stories where grace is all wrapped up in it. So are you compelled? Do you lock in on grace in the future of you living as an ambassador? Do you get excited to proclaim the gospel within your family? Is the gospel truly even compelling to you? When you look at your story of the past, grace, when you look at all the times God's grace has sustained you through the pain, through the suffering, through whatever it is, does it not compel you to live for God in the future? Does it not compel you to let go of all of your sins? Does it not compel you to say no to your flesh and yes to his, his spirit? This is how we answer the question. We know if this grace compels us, if people are saying this to us in verse 24, if they are saying, God is glorified because of you. That's how you know if the grace of God, the gospel is compelling to us. So here's the question. Are people saying that because of you? Because you are walking with people in community, letting them see your story. And when I say letting them see your story, once again, your story is a standing ovation for the grace of God. Are people looking at you and, and, and glorifying God because of your story? Are people looking at you and saying, you used to be so selfish and so self-centered, but now it seems like you truly care for others? Are people looking at you and saying, man, you used to be so negative and always complain about everything, always talk negatively about people. But now you have so much grace when you speak of others. Can people look at you and say, you, you used to be so impatient and struggle with anger issues, but now you are so patient, now you are so forgiving. 
People should be able to look at us and say, you used to be a fool, but now you operate with so much wisdom. People need to see us and say, wow, you were always so shy to talk about your faith, but now just watch you go and pray for your coworker. Our past and present grace should compel us in future grace. But if we are not living as ambassadors of Christ, then people won't look at us and say, God is glorified because of you. And if this is not happening, then our stories, then your stories are not serving its, its purpose. There's too much grace that runs all throughout the veins of our story for God not to be glorified by it. So what I want to do, I want to close with the reading of the Valley of Visions. Maybe some of you are familiar. This is basically just a book of Psalms from the Puritan writers. I just want to read a piece of this. Um, then I'm going to transition us into our communion. Listen to what this writer says. He says, I am, and he's writing this praying to the Lord, I am entirely dependent upon you for support, counsel, and consolation. Uphold me by your free spirit, and may I not think it's enough to be preserved from, from falling. But may I always go forward, the future, may I always be compelled, go forward, always abounding in the work that you give me to do. That's what it means to be an ambassador. Then he says, strengthen me by your spirit in my inner self for every purpose of my Christian life. This is what that looks like. So I'm going to ask the communion team to come up. And as they distribute the communion, I want, there needs to be um, three stories that you're thinking of as you are taking the communion, as the communion is in your hand, as you are thinking. As you are getting communion, the first story you need to be thinking about is the story of the cross. That story is, that's the pinnacle of all stories. That's the mountaintop of all stories is what happened on, on the cross. But this is what the bread is symbolic for. This is what the juice, the wine, whatever you want to call it, is some symbolic for. It's, it's that story of Jesus breaking his, his flesh for Jesus allowing him to be destroyed, being whipped, being murdered. That's what that story is symbolic for. So I want you to take the communion and just meditate on that story. That's the first story. The second story I want you to be thinking about is your story. I want you to be thinking about when, you, when, when the story of the cross was impacted by your story, that moment that you finally realized, oh, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to, to walk with the Lord. This is what it means that Christianity isn't just some stamp that we post on us. Christianity is a lifestyle. It's a relationship to be, have. Christianity isn't something to confess and then go and just live otherwise. Just as communion is in your hand, just think about your story when it was impacted by the story of the cross. Then the last thing I want you to think about is someone else's story that you feel like God is calling you to go in and be compelled to impact and pray for and, and change.
So this time is yours just to reflect on those three stories. The first story is the story of the cross. The second story is when your story was impacted by that. And then the third, that person, as you know, that God is probably popping in your mind right now, that you need to go and, and feel compelled to live as an ambassador, to speak truth into their lives, to pray for, for them. And so just take this time to reflect and pray over that, and then we'll take communion all together. Thank God for your story. Thank God for his story. Ask God to give you grace to live as an ambassador for your neighbors, for your coworkers, for that brother or sister who's lost, that cousin who's lost. Thank God for the beautiful story of the cross. Ask God to make that real to us. That's not just a, just a piece of the past. No, that's a real story that has impacted our stories. Thank God for that story. God, we love you, we, we need you, and we thank you for all you have done, for who you are, and for the beautiful story that you have given us and a beautiful story that we can just meditate on that compels us in our future. In your name we pray, amen. So once again, we know this is the bread. This is such a significant aspect of the story that we reflect on, of it being broken. And that story has impacted all of our stories in here. And this is why we celebrate this. So let us take of the bread together as a church. This is symbolic for the blood of Christ. That, that blood gives us strength. That this blood it's the beautiful thing that covers us. That's God showing his grace, and that's the grace that sustains us. So let's take of the blood together as a church. Journey Church, let us pray and close us out one more time. Dearly Father, we are so grateful for you. We are thankful for you. We need your help to remind us of our stories, to remind us of your story. And we need your help to live as ambassadors, to be compelled for people to look at us and say, wow, you have changed. What happened? And we can look at them and say, grace. Let us live as true ambassadors. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.